Amen. He is so good. And we don't deserve it. Oh. As I was uh, studying and preparing for, for this week, um, is a passage I've preached out of uh, before. And I love what the writer of Hebrews tells us. Um, if I can get there. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is living and active. And I love the fact that you can, you can study a passage, you can study a passage, and God's going to give it to you new. If, if your heart's open to hearing the word, you're going to get something new out of it every time. And I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I find myself, when I study the Word, I, I tend to see how God starts working those things in my life. Okay, But I also see on the flip side of God showing me uh, my sins and struggles uh, through that aspect. And um, this was definitely one of those. I don't stand before you as somebody, uh, as I preach this, that has this figured out by any means. Um, that's, that's the joy of sanctification. It's a lifelong process. Um, but hopefully we can learn something together. We can get something uh, together out of it. So this morning we're going to be in the book of Philippians. This is probably one of my favorite books. This, this is a book um, of encouragement. Uh, it's, a, it's a loving book. It's, it's, it's quite different than what you find with, say, the book of First, Second Corinthians, where Paul is really attacking and dealing uh, with some issues within the church. Um, you don't get that. Now, Paul is dealing with a few things. We'll, we'll talk about that here. But it's, it's not as um, finger-pointing as we find in, in some of his other letters uh, to other churches. Paul is writing this, this book from prison, most likely in Rome. We find that just from later in uh, chapter 1, this whole idea of him... Um, being able to continue to spread the gospel and it, it reaching the imperial guard. So that kind of gives us the idea that this is uh, in Rome where he's in prison. He's probably been here for a while. Um, but in that imprisonment, he rejoices. He's got a lot to, to, to find joy in. And um, in our life, in our walk, we've got so much to find joy in. In the good times and the bad times, there's so much that we can give God the glory for. And as believers, that should be our goal, to glorify and honor God and lift him up above all things. Um, your brother Kelly, brother Kelly, what is your name? Kelly? Keller? Kelly? <laughs> I live with him. I should know. I've known him for 20 years. Brother Kelly, um, you know, it's all about making the most of God, making the most of who he is. Um, and that's our goal. That's our, that's our purpose, um, to glorify him. And we need to do that in our speech. We need to do that in our thoughts. We need to do that in the way um, we live our lives. And our lives should be completely centered um, around Christ. Hebrews 12 tells us, let us lay also 
Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Our walk needs to have our eyes completely fixed on Christ in everything. Um, not looking to the left or to the right, but focused on him um, because he has to be the prize. He has to be the purpose. He's our strength. He has to be our absolute everything. Paul put it like this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from God, and that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I've got to look at everything in this world and count it uh, as rubbish compared to the glory of the righteousness of Christ. And it's only because him that I can enjoy that righteousness. So as we look at our passage today, we're going to see what it looks like to live a gospel-worthy life. Again, I don't have this figured out. I'm still trudging through, uh, trudging through this, this life. But um, let's get into it. So part one, living a gospel-worthy life requires a heavenward focus. Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by, having, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, he has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Living a gospel-worthy life requires a heavenward focus. Paul tells us, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Holman Christian Standard Bible puts it this way. Just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So at this point, Paul has just gotten done 
encouraging the people of uh, Philippi that the gospel is being spread. Yeah, he's in prison. He's locked up, but he's got a captive audience with the, the prisoners there, uh, with, the, with the guard. Um, there is probably about 9,000 of these Praetorian guard uh, in this area. It's a lot of people, a lot of people just to hear uh, this message. And he continues on, and even though the gospel is being spread by those who actually love the gospel, the gospel is being spread by those who might have ulterior motives, the gospel is still being spread. And he finds joy in that. And he encourages the people of Philippi. You know, it's his eager expectation and hope that he will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in his body, whether by his life or by his death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Those are bold words. For him, he would, he would much rather just depart this world, be with Christ, because you know that's, that's the better situation for him. But he's going to stay on with the people of Philippi to, to continue to teach them, to continue to encourage them. Um, and because of that, uh, he tells them, but there's one thing I want you to focus on. One thing I need you guys to, to make sure you're doing is keeping that heavenward focus. Uh, another way you can look at this, another way this has been uh, translated, regardless of my circumstances, what really matters is that you behave as citizens of heaven in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul uses this language here, this political language of, of citizenship, and I looked up and I found this one great uh, definition. So citizenship relation is a relationship between an individual and a state to which the individual owes allegiance and in turn is entitled to its pro uh, protection. Citizenship implies the status of freedom with accompanying responsibilities. Citizens have rights, duties, and responsibilities that are denied or only partially extended to aliens and other non-citizens residing in a country. In general, full political rights, including the right to vote and to hold public office, are predicated upon citizenship. The usual responsibilities of citizenship are allegiance, taxation, and military service. Citizenship is the most privileged form of nationality. Now, the people of Philippi, this was a, uh, a Roman city, a Roman state. They enjoyed all of the protections of Rome, and they took pride in the fact that they were Roman citizens. Uh, they they kind of call this like a little Rome. And so Paul's addressing this pride that they have um, and trying to get them to change their focus, change their priorities just a little bit, okay? Um, and as US, U.S. citizens, we have certain rights that we enjoy um, and privileges and freedoms, and we should thank and praise God every day for those because uh, it definitely could be a lot worse. Um, but what Paul is telling them is we have to make sure that as believers, as a church, um, our focus, our citizenship, our allegiance is to heaven. It's not here. It's not to America. Um, and again, I'm not saying we shouldn't be proud or thankful of those rights, but we've got to make sure that um, our priorities are in order. Okay? It doesn't... It doesn't take much. You don't have to go far to see the pride uh, that we have in our country. You listen to it on the radio. You listen to the music. You can see it on the news. Uh, people love being here, and that's a good thing. Um, but as the church, we have to remember that that's not our focus. 
we, we've got a citizenship that's much bigger than the country that we live in. Okay? Um, we were told in Matthew 28, go share the gospel. Make disciples. Teach them the things that I'm teaching you, Jesus said. And when we, we lose focus on Christ, when we lose focus on the church, we lose focus of that purpose. Our goal is to spread the gospel. Our goal is to share the gospel. And we get too caught up on where we are today and not look into heaven. We lose the ability to share that gospel. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3. Our life is hidden in Christ. It should be. And if it's not, we need to reevaluate. We need to, to look at our lives and look at what we're doing, what our focus is, what our purpose is. And if it's not Christ, then we need to make some changes. Number two, living a gospel-worthy life requires one another. Paul tells us, So that whether I'm, I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything uh, by your opponents. This is a clear sign of them, of uh, their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So Paul is telling them that whether or not he's able to get out of prison, he wants to make sure and hear that there's unity within the church. Um, he's heard of some disunity uh, that they've been dealing with, most likely from Epaphroditus, uh, as the Philippians have sent him with a gift. And um, he, he actually addresses it more specifically later in, in chapter 4, where he calls out uh, Yodia and uh, Syntyche. Um, and I don't know if I'd ever want to be that person called out in one of Paul's letters, personally. I don't know about you guys. Um, but Paul points some fingers. Um, he tells him, look, you guys have got to get on the same page. Um, and we continue to see this communal idea through the book of Acts. Uh, turn with me to Acts 2. Uh, verses 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the brother, and to prayers. And in all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there's, there's this communal idea. And one of the things that um, I've loved about being here is, is just the sense of community. This thing does not want to stay on my ear. Uh, just the sense of community. Um, you know, you guys have been, been such a blessing uh, to us and to our family. And that's, that's what the church should be. Seeking to love one another, to just live life and share life uh, together. Writer of Hebrews tells us that um, we need to look together to see how we can stir one another up to love and to good works. Uh, we are not to neglect meeting with one another, with some, as some habitually do, but we should seek to encourage um, one another. 
we can't neglect meeting together. We have to be here. This, this Sunday morning, it, it, it doesn't have, it shouldn't be just on Sunday mornings that we gather. Um, we need to be meeting in each other's homes. We need to be uh, encouraging each other, praying for each other, confessing our sins to one another, which is a terribly scary thing to do, um, being that vulnerable and open ourselves up uh, to each other that way. But we have to meet together. Um, and some are neglecting that. And we can't live this life alone. We just can't. We have to encourage, our, uh, encourage each other to lift our eyes to Christ and to Christ alone. Um, and this is an idea that Paul's going to visit again uh, later in chapter 2. Um, but also uh, at the, at the end, of the, end of the book, he kind of bookends uh, Philippians with this idea of standing firm and citizenship. Um, heavenly citizenship. And so he tells them, for it has been, uh, I'm sorry, that I may hear with, uh, hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He tells them to stand firm, have a strong foundation in the gospel. One of the things, um, I've been, a, I've been a martial artist for about 30 plus years. And one of the things that we like to teach our guys is they have to have a strong foundation. If their stance isn't strong, if this down here isn't good, um, nothing else really matters. It all just kind of falls apart. And our faith is the same way. If we're not rooted in Christ, if we're not rooted and standing firm in who he is, um, our faith is going to fall apart. And what Paul is telling them is, look, you guys have got to come together. And you've got to be of one mind, one spirit, thinking the same way, seeking the same Christ. It's kind of the idea. One of the things I thought about was imagining a football game. And you've got the defense, right? You've got all those guys. And all you have in the offense is just the quarterback. And the quarterback trying to move that ball down the field by himself one at a time. And it's just never going to happen. He needs that team. He needs that group to come around him, to protect him, to fight side by side with one another. And that's what Paul is dealing with as they are dealing with not only this disunity, but they're also dealing with um, some false teachers. And for them to, to battle that, for them to fight that, they've got to stand together. They've got to fight side by side. They've got to come uh, one beside each other and stand firm and teach that truth. Because if we don't, unfortunately, there's so much that is attacking our families, attacking our church, uh, attacking our marriages. Uh, we see that in the culture. We see that on TV. We see that in the movies. And if we don't have each other to stand firm, to encourage each other to Christ, it's just going to fall apart. Um, hold that place there. If you'll look at Exodus. Um, Exodus 17, we get the story of of Moses, and they were fighting the uh, Amaleks, and it says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. 
Whenever Moses held, his, held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Kind of a, a neat, interesting story of God's people uniting together uh, for one cause. And um, a couple other passages I've got, and you guys can look these up. Uh, Galatians 6, 1, 2, Hebrews 10, 23, 25, and James 5, uh, 13, through 30, uh, 13 through 16. So Paul encourages them that being unified in faith and in the gospel, it will be, as one commentator puts it, a confrontation and a confirmation. Paul encouraged them that because of his imprisonment, believers were emboldened to share the gospel without fear. And here, is, here he is encouraging them with the same boldness. The unsaved will be confronted with their unbelief and their impending judgment. Those who are in Christ are confirmed in the walk. Um, Part, um, section 3. Living a gospel-worthy life will involve suffering. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul told Timothy, all those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Now, I don't know if it gets much plainer than that. Okay, we're going to suffer. We're going to deal with uh, persecution. We're going to deal with, with tough times. Maybe not so much here um, in America. We, we get somebody calling us a bad name. Um, but we're starting to see it a little bit more as, as um, Christians start taking more of a stand for their faith. Um, we're starting to see a little bit more of that, that persecution. Um, and we need to realize that these hardships and suffering and persecution... Um, we need to find joy. James tells us in James 1, uh, consider all joy when you encounter various trials and cry out for strength to endure and abide in him. And it's those seasons that grow such a sweet intimacy with him. We, we grow closer to Christ uh, through those times of struggle. Um, I think about... Um, um, Jacob and that battle he had with the Lord, you know, being blessed, having his name changed. Um, that was a sweet time for him. It was tough. It was hard. Um, but he grew. And those times of suffering, we grow uh, as well. It gives us the opportunity to cry out um, to our daddy and to Abba, Father, um, and seeking that, that sweetness. And one of the things that Paul wants them to know that suffering isn't bad. Uh, he tells them that his been granted for them. That, that idea of being granted is actually uh, the same idea that we get for grace. Uh, it was a graceful um, giving uh, that we should suffer for the sake of Christ. Uh, one commentator put it this way, and I share this because um, this has been, this is what really hit me um, studying this passage, to be clear, we don't suffer in the same way as Jesus. His death was an atoning death, but our symbol for life and ministry is a cross. Not a recliner, not a flat screen, 
not first class tickets on the airplane, not plush golf courses. You may have those things and they may be enjoyed appropriately at times, but let's not forget that the call to follow Jesus, a call to follow him down the Calvary road. And Paul adds this, it's a gift to suffer him, suffer for him like that. Christ tells us to take up our cross and follow him. For us to suffer, for us to go through those hard times is a gift. We see that, see that in Acts. Um, Paul, and, Paul and James, not Paul, Peter and James uh, being beaten, being whipped, coming out rejoicing, praising the Lord that they just got beat. Um, Paul constantly is rejoicing uh, in his suffering. Because, because of that, it allows him to boast in Christ and Christ alone. Uh, it is a blessing and it is a ministry and it is a gift. Uh, I love the uh, connection Paul makes uh, with Philippians, or not Philippians, uh, with 1 Peter. Uh, he says in 1 Peter 1, or 1 Peter 3, sorry. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote according to the wisdom given him. And as he does all in his letters when he speaks uh, in them of these matters. There are some in them that are hard to understand. And you know what? That was the wrong spot. <laughs> um, but earlier Peter uh, is explaining to them the, the joy of, of suffering. Um, being willing to, uh, uh, being ready to make a defense for the gospel. And so we get this idea of suffering uh, to endure uh, and, and find blessing in that. And uh, there's a story. There's a pastor from Romania, uh, a man named Joseph Son, uh, that I've always, as I've under, looked at this idea of suffering, and this was during the Cold War. And as he was, <coughs> as he was, Sharing the gospel and going through life and dealing with the communist takeover of Romania, um, there was a lot of beatings that he went through, and he was talking about the, the, the struggle uh, that they had to deal with. And at one point, he had gotten down with his wife and had asked her to um, be willing to just release him to the Lord, which she really struggled with. And they had a day when they came in, and they busted through their doors and uh, continued to beat them. And steal all of his books. And he, they, they told him, tomorrow we're going to be done with you. And he says, I knew what that meant. I knew what that struggle was. And so they went and got with some friends that night and prayed. And his prayer was, Lord, I'm ready to die for you. I'm ready to give my life for you. Only make my life a living sacrifice, a pure and holy sacrifice uh, before you. And when he met with the, the guard the next day... He was so ready to give his life um, that when they told him all they were going to do is deport him, he was upset. He was angry because he was ready to lay that life down. He was joyous, um, joyfully ready uh, to make that, to make that um, choice. And so when he would have people come to him and ask him, hey, you know, pastor, will you, will you baptize me? Will you, um, you know, I want to be saved? Uh, he would tell them that they really need to think about the things that they're asking. Because there was a very clear line. I want you to know that if I baptize you, the police are there, 
you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your family, and you might lose your life. Are you ready to make that decision? We don't have that here. We don't have to worry about it. It's easier for us to walk down an aisle and say, I want to be baptized, I want to be saved. We don't have to count those costs. But there are believers across the world that have to count that cost. And he would, he would tell them this. Do you find in Jesus the treasure that makes you want to go out and sell all you have in order to obtain the treasure? If you're not ready to look back to whatever you lose here and say all of that is garbage in order to get to the king, don't come to Jesus. If you're not willing to look at the things that we have and be willing to lose that for the sake of Christ, don't come to Jesus. That is the greatest treasure we could ever seek. That is the only thing that we need, is Christ. And if we're not willing to make that decision, don't do it. What do we really treasure in this life? What are we really looking to? If we want a relationship with the one and only king who spoke all things into existence, we have to prepare to suffer for it. So Paul tells them it should be their ministry and their joy to suffer for the sake of Christ. And just as he has, that they should follow in his example and enjoy in that suffering. Number five, number four, living a gospel-worthy life requires humility, unity, and love. This next section, Paul revisits the importance of this idea of unity and kind of expands a little bit more uh, of what that's supposed to look like. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also uh, to the interests of others. This is, this, is the, this is the passage that really kind of drives how I live my life. Um, and it should, it should be one that drives how we all live our life. Uh, we live in, a, we live in a, um, a culture where the focus has to be on me. The focus has to be on taking care of me, myself, and I. Uh, you've got to look out for yourself first. You've got to look out for who you are before you deal with anybody else. Um, scripture tells us a little bit differently. Um, Paul is, again, addressing this disunity within the church, and he moves on focusing from an outside unity to an internal unity. He says, any encouragement in Christ? He tells them it's, it's great. How great is it that we are one in Christ? We are his that's something we need to be encouraged, uh, encouraged by. Any comfort from love. There is a love that we should share with one another because of the love of Christ has shown us. We can't love each other um, if it wasn't for the fact that Christ loved us first. Okay, Scripture says that God is love, and we get that from him. So there needs to be a community of love uh, with one another. Tells them any participation in the Spirit. As believers, we all have the same Holy Spirit living within us to guide us, to pray for us, to help us, to teach us. Um, and a, a more accurate translation is that we have fellowship together in that Holy Spirit. 
He says, any affection and sympathy. As believers, we should show tenderness and compassion and mercy to one another. Just as he's shown these things to us through Christ, we should show them to one another. And so he tells them, complete my joy by being of the same mind. He's telling them, you know, there's nothing more that would bless my heart that I would find out that you guys are loving one another, that you guys are in community together, that you are fellowshipping together, but you are of one mind, one spirit focused uh, completely on Christ. And he tells them, um, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Um, we don't have to battle against each other. Um, this is a mentality that will destroy the church. Uh, scripture tells us, if you bring your offering to the temple and you remember that your brother has an issue with you, your brother has aught with you, it says, leave that offering, go make it right, and then come back and make that offering. And as these people were traveling to Jerusalem, some of them might have been traveling matter of days or weeks just to make that offering. What Christ is saying is that unity is so important that I want you to be willing to leave that offering, travel those days and weeks back to make it right with your brother. You can't give me a pure sacrifice if your heart's not right, if your relationship with your brother is not right. We have to live the same way. If we know that we've got an issue with one another, we have to make that right. If the Lord uh, prompts your heart that, hey, you know, I had this argument with his brother, with his sister, things aren't going well, you got to go make it right. You're not going to hear much else from the Lord unless your heart is in the right spot. We have to make those things right. And he says, don't do it from conceit or vainglory. He's telling them, let your motives be pure in what we're doing. He gets the same idea in the first chapter as he's talking about those that preach the gospel out of love. But there's a, those that preach um, against him. There are those that are now taking the opportunity because he's in prison. They say, okay, Paul's out of the way. Now I can kind of stand out. Well, that's a terrible attitude to have. That's a terrible reason uh, to do anything. We need to make sure that everything that we do is out of a pure motive. And he tells us, but in, in humility, count one another's as more significant than yourselves, not looking out to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, greatest commandment, Jesus tells us, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, or on par with it, love your neighbor as yourself. It's not that it's not okay to love yourself. We're called to, to care for ourselves. Um, but we've got to be willing to put others first. We've got to be willing to step aside sometimes and look at um, others' needs above our own. Being able to humble ourselves before one another, take our eyes off of us, and to put it on him. And then when we do that, we're able to consider uh, one another. Number five, living a gospel-worthy life points to the supremacy of Christ. So what is the goal of gospel-worthy living? It is the same goal of living everything that we do for his glory. Life points, uh, live a life that points to the supremacy of Jesus and who he is, whether we eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Paul told us to humble ourselves, and he kind of gave us an example to look forward to. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being, both, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every name should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a passage that we could probably spend a couple of some days on, um, on its own. So <clears throat> Paul tells us, you know, we need to follow his example, but you need to follow the example that I've, I've lived by following the example uh, of Christ. We see here that Jesus didn't see his part of the Trinity as a thing to avoid. Um, instead, he was willing to look at us um, for whatever reason um, and humble himself to that point on the cross. He gave up his time at the right, at the right hand of the Father so that we could have that relationship with him. Not that he needed us, but it was a matter of restoring our need for him. Um, he was uh, sinless. He became sin so that we might know the righteousness of God. We see the ultimate example of what it means in regard to others as important than ourselves. The idea of God opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble is perfectly shown here because as Christ humbled himself, God exalted him to his rightful place uh, on his throne. So as we look to lead a gospel-worthy life, we have to look at it from a heavenward citizenship. We need to make sure that we are first seeking Jesus individually, but also together so that we can be of one mind seeking to love each other and putting one another first so that we can stand firm in the gospel. And we do that by seeking to glorify God in all that we do. Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you've uh, blessed us with. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you um, give us this example, Father. Um, of what it is to uh, live a life that is focused on you, Lord. We just ask that you would um, give us the strength to humble ourselves before one another, Lord, and seek to encourage um, you in all that we do, finding unity uh, that can only come uh, through the gospel, Lord. Uh, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.